Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is James Kleiman, the Managing Editor of our newsroom, to talk about the biggest stories we covered this week, and boy, do we have some. So before we dive in, here's a word from our sponsor. Since 2015, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers, closing more than $134 billion in loan volume. Licensed in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, Finance of America Mortgage is backed by best-in-class lending technology and a wide range of innovative mortgage products that can help turn any borrower into a customer for life. Want to join an award-winning team and evaluate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housing wire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID number 1771. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. All right, James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Sarah, good to be with you. It's great to be with you. We have had so many stories that it is it is hard to pick which ones we want to talk about, but we've narrowed them down a little bit. And and one of the ones that I, I think is most interesting, I would say the theme of the stories we're covering today is kind of like how people are adjusting to the current market, which is, you know, less volume, but also really a really volatile rate rate environment, right? I mean, they're, they're trying to, to do the right thing by their, if you're a lender, you're trying to figure that out. So the first, the first one I wanted to talk to you about today was rocket, uh, promising brokers that they could do, uh, closings in 15 days. Tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah. So, you know, just a little bit of background on rocket rocket is the, you know, the, the King Kong of the mortgage, uh, origination space. They are bigger than anybody. Um, but Rocket, you know, they, they made a lot of big gains in 2020 and 2021 because, you know, they, they weren't caught flat-footed when, uh, you know, COVID hit and um, and there was this huge rush to refinance and, and then also to buy homes. And so Rocket, like, they, they had a system, especially for refis, and they were ready to go and they were ready to capitalize on, on just a huge book of business. And so they they probably gained more market share than anyone else in those two years. Um, but as, as everyone is well aware of now, we are very much in a purchase mortgage market. And Rocket is not as prolific under those conditions. And so they have made uh, a lot of moves over the last, I'd say, year and a half, maybe two years um, to to kind of shore up their presence, their infrastructure, and their coverage, um, and even products as well in in the broker channel. And uh, if you're a lender who mostly does business through a call center model, you don't have a lot of very close relationships with real estate agents and and financial advisors and, and the people who are you know advising uh, buyers day in and day out. And so for Rocket, having having a good relationship with brokers. And being able to to lap up a lot of that purchase business is really really critical for them, 
in 2021, about, I think it was only 16% of their originations were purchase. And so they know they have to do uh, much better with purchases in 2022 as the market turns. And so to that end, they have been uh, trying to, to get brokers on their side and, and try to work with them by offering a, a whole suite of services and products. And so, you know, they have these dedicated teams now for brokers who send them loans. So they'll have, you know, basically their own operations team to make sure that the, you know, that the deal goes through and that everything does uh, does so smoothly. And so its latest move is they are offering guarantees of 15 days uh, to close a purchase mortgage. Um, it is not in every state. I believe there are 16 states in which this um, this guarantee is not available. Um, and uh, and it only applies to conventional mortgages. And so, yeah, you know, slightly limited, right? Um, there, there are a few big states that this does not apply to. And, um, and it's, you know, only the most vanilla of all loans. Um, but it's definitely, it, it is a move on their part to really try to convince brokers, we are going to get that loan done. We're going to get it done quickly. And then you can move on to other business. And, um, you know, from my vantage, it's really, it's them saying to UWM, which is definitively the fastest lender in the wholesale space, we're, we're really ready to start competing on speed. Um, they are not there yet. You know, there, there are people in the broker space I chat with pretty often and they say UWM can do, you know, a similar conventional mortgage in seven, eight, nine days. Um, and, and Rocket's not quite there yet, but, but they're getting faster. And the industry average overall for, you know, for closing loans is like 40 something days. Um, and, and that's even with all the capacity that we have right now. So it's, um, it's a big move from Rocket. I, I should note that it is only active through the end of April. It's just this month. Um, and, and that'll be before earnings, presumably. Right. So, so they're, they're trying to, they're trying to get the numbers up and, uh, everyone's going to have to be a little bit smarter, a little bit sharper and, and really, you know, work to their operational strengths and try to minimize their weaknesses in a market like this. It's, it's not a forgiving market. And, and even the biggest players are really going to need to step up their games. I think one of the biggest things there is they're putting, you know, as they say in their, in their press release about, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is, um, as a, you know, th- that gives you some certainty that that's going to happen. They're not they're They would be, they would know they can do this in 15 days or they're not putting that $2,500 lender credit on there. Um, so yeah. to, to your point, I wonder what the actual close, um, closing time was over the last couple months, how long they've gone it down to where they feel like they can guarantee 15 and put money behind it. That'd be interesting to know. So we, we asked and um, they, they, they decided not to uh, not to share those figures, but they said that they, they made their uh, their strongest gains in, in terms of getting the, you know, the closing number down um, from in February and in March. So it makes sense. You know, they, they wouldn't be doing this, as you said, if they didn't feel confident that they could deliver. Um, and for what it's worth, if, if Rocket, you know, has to hand over $2,500 because they're, you know, they're coming in at 16 days, um, I, I don't think it's going to break the bank. I, I, I think Daniel <laughs> will still sleep okay at night knowing uh, knowing he's still got billions in, in the kitty. Yeah, no, uh, I, I hear that. You know, you and I were talking before we started recording that, 
you know, 15 days, 20 days, that would be amazing. I've, I've never had a, a loan close very quickly. So, you know, to your point, people do have capacity right now, more capacity than, you know, the volume really merits. So maybe that, that, uh, trend is towards faster closing, but I'm not sure that it's all about capacity. A lot of it's about their processes, the technology, um, and, and some outside factors too, that they don't have any control over like appraisals. So, uh, but either way, I feel like it's it's a win for the industry as as we try to whittle down that time to close across the board. Yeah, I, I think what you said is is absolutely spot on, Sarah, and that it, it's going to come down to the external factors that even Rocket wouldn't be able to control. You know, if there's an, an appraiser shortage, which we know is the case, um, it doesn't matter if Rocket's doing the loan or if UWM is doing the loan or Chase or JP Morgan or Movement or yeah, you name the lender. You know, it's they they can't create appraisers overnight. They can't change the conditions on the ground, and so, um, yeah, they they may have to, but but I I think it's probably, um, you know, a worthy cost, and it's it's good PR for them too, right? So, it's uh it's it's a move I think they'll make every day, and um, I, I would expect them to probably extend it beyond April. Right, it might prove really popular, and if if that's you know the price of uh, getting brokers uh, on board or, or more excited about the product, it might be well worth it to them. <laughs> well, speaking of movement, you just did. Um, you know, we had a, a story this week about Movement Mor- Mortgage laying off 170 employees, and that was uh, Flavia Furlan Nunez did the reporting on that. But I know that you were uh, involved in that editing, so tell us a little bit about that story. So we had heard from a number of sources over the last few weeks uh, that Movement, which is a retail, distributed retail uh, focused uh, originator uh, based in South Carolina, that they had let go quite a few people. And, and we've been working on the last few weeks to try to get it confirmed. And we, of course, reached out to the company multiple times and, and never heard back. And, and um you know, we we just kept hearing it and hearing it, and we we finally got a source who who had been one of the unfortunate people who was let go, and uh, were able to confirm that that in fact about 170 people um, across the country were um, yeah were, were given a pink slip, and so that includes professionals in processing, underwriting, closing, uh, really across the board. And um, I, I think what's interesting about this one in particular is is movement is not the first, and they will not be the last to uh, lay off a sizable number of their workforce. Um, But movement is, unlike most of the other layoffs that we've seen to date, they are very purchase-focused. They are not a refi shop that's just banging out refis from a call center in in some, you know, Sunbelt city. Um, They do a lot of business in, in the purchase market. You know, I think it's, I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but it's, it's around half, maybe maybe more in some cases, um, and so the fact that they are doing this, I, I think, illustrates that that no company is um, is probably going to remain static in terms of its jobs. You know, maybe maybe some of the really really big ones um, might might try to keep uh, their ranks in line with where they are, but if if movement, which is definitively a purchase lender, is uh, is cutting all these jobs, I, I think it's fair to say that. If you work as a processor at a similar company, you're probably a bit nervous right now. Um, and so it's it's an interesting landscape. And, you know, they, they've done this before. And 
and and almost every mortgage lender in America has laid people off. You know, this is a cyclical industry. Um, as much as we'd like to forget, given given the incredible gains of 2020 and 2021, um, but 2018 this happened, right? In fact, movement itself laid off uh, a bunch of people in 2018. I think it was 180 jobs, and and that happened, um, you know, right after. Uh, a downturn in the housing market at the time and, and lower origination forecasts and rising rates and low housing inventory, right? Like it all sounds very familiar. And so um, it's, it's just, you know, this is the, the cycle of mortgage. And it does mean that there are always going to be a fair amount of people who wash out when the business just isn't there to support the large workforce at the time. So yeah. It, yeah it, and it makes me think about all of the processors and especially the underwriters who got really big signing bonuses and they, they could practically write their own salary at sometimes in, in 2020 and 2021 when there just wasn't the capacity, right? And and every lender was was making, you know, money like never before. And um, if I'm an underwriter, I'm probably nervous too. I'm especially nervous as an underwriter. So it's um it's it's going to be something to watch for especially as the upcoming um quarterly earnings reports come in from a lot of the big IMBs. I think that'll be very telling and that that'll be the first quarter where we know definitively, you know, that the refis were pretty much dusted at that point. Uh, certainly the right term refis and and it was purchased and so you know it, it'll it, it'll be the real forecast to look out from. Yeah, you know, on those on those processors or especially the underwriters, like you said, whose salaries just shot to the moon. You know, the people at the time, you wonder how those how those conversations went, contracts were structured, because clearly, you know, their um their employers would know that there's gonna come a time when we don't need to pay you that much and, and maybe even they delay you off. So it's gotta be some hard conversations now. But to your point, it this is across the industry. Um, you know, better.com is probably the most uh, infamous and uh, the way that they did this. And, you know, obviously a, a very, uh, refi heavy shop there. So that, you know, laid off 3000 employees, but you know, the way they did it was especially, uh, egregious to those being laid off and, and just to people in general. So, uh, interesting. We'll have to, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard time in the industry to see the people that we cover and know that, you know, everyone's, everyone's going to have a tougher year. There's just no getting around it. Yeah. I, I think it's also worth noting that, um, Many of the jobs that have been cut in the aggregate in in the mortgage workforce don't actually work in in America. You know, we're talking about a lot of people who work in the Philippines and India, and, and a lot of mortgage lenders, you know, set up operation centers in in uh, countries where where they could pay people a little bit less and um, and help handle a lot of the volume in, in places where they have you know high rates of of English proficiency and and so you know when you look at better. <laughs> I think it was just as many jobs in India were cut as there were in America. And, um, you know, a lot of lenders have overseas operations and, and, um, they, they are probably going to feel the brunt of this as well. That's a really good point. Um, we saw that shift, you know, several years ago, but really picked up steam to your point, that sort of outsourcing of, of certain parts of the, of the mortgage process. You know, if we're, if we're sticking with the theme of like what, how, how different companies are adjusting to this market, let's talk about Angel Oak. Um, you know, we have had volatile uh, mortgage rates, interest rates in general. And so, you know, that's caused pain for a lot of people. Talk about the um, 
story we did, uh, the headline of this one is Involatile Market Angel Sets 30-Day Rate Lock Period. Really interesting. Yeah. So it's it's an especially difficult time for non-QM lenders as a late just in terms of pricing. And, um, you know, they don't have any in Freddie. They don't have kind of reliable, um, tried and true kind of standardized options for securitizing or selling loans on the secondary market. And so, you know, it's it's much more important that they hedge properly and that they get everything, you know, absolutely right. And, and they're they're able to, to kind of make the margins work. And so it was, uh, I want to say it was last week that Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions, which is, um, they're, they're basically sort of like the broker wholesale uh, company within the Angel Oak family of companies, um, and and they updated their rate lock policy to a 30-day lock period. Uh, and, and that was, of course, because of the fast rising interest rate landscape. And what they did is basically, as I understand it, they broke locks that were already in the pipe and said, you need to relock at whatever the current rate is because we, we can't have you know, like a 50, 60, 70 or whatever basis point difference it was and, and be able to sell this and, and not, you know, um, not be under par or over par rather. And, um, and so, so that, that was communicated. And then one day later they rescinded it. They, they sent out a, uh, a message on, I think it was LinkedIn. And then they subsequently spoke to us briefly about it and, and basically said, you know, we, we know that this caused a lot of anxiety and, and confusion from broker partners and borrowers. And so, um, you know, any of those locks that had already been in the system and had been in, in the pipeline, you know, we'll keep the, those as they were. Um, but, you know, basically effectively immediate, anything going forward is going to be subject to a 30 rate, a 30, 30 day lock rate. And, um, yeah, I mean, when you think about the volatility, they don't have a ton of other options, right? They can either try to make rate lock extensions like extremely expensive um, to dissuade people from from trying to, you know, extend the lock when, you know, the conditions change dramatically, or they can try to do what they did, which um, gets a lot of bad press and upsets their broker partners and, and upsets borrowers who feel like, wait a second, you told me I had 30 days and now it's 27 days and the environment changed, but that's your problem, not mine, right? So it's it's a difficult, difficult issue. Um, and I, I think a lot of other lenders are going to be faced with this problem. And so we're, we're going to continue reporting on it. But, you know, the, the interest rate environment is, is wild right now. I believe it was this morning that we found out that over the last three months, rates have raised faster than at any other point since 1994. And I think I was in, geez, yeah, I was like a child. I was like an eight-year-old when that <laughs> happened. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to think, but yeah, we, we haven't seen this since, you know, 94. It's like when the Ninja Turtles still ruled the world. Hey, listen, I was not a child. In fact, I had children by 94, but that's okay. Uh, that It has been a really long time, right? To your point. Yes. And and I just think that, um, you know, in a normal, uh, what is normal? But in a more typical environment with inflation, you know, you, on, on top of that, we have the uncertainty around, um, you know, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which Janet Yellen came out recently this week, just talking about how, you know, that's going to affect our economy 
what that looks like. I'm sure that did not help. <laughs> yeah. It's not Janet Yellen's fault. She's just, you know, she's dating the obvious and trying to get people ready, but it's just a, it, it's an unstable environment in so many ways. And, you know, it's really to your point, you know, the, the borrower's like, well, that's not my problem. It does become the lender's problem, but you know, ultimately it's, it's just a really difficult environment to operate. in if you're trying to, trying to control your costs in any way. Yeah. And I think a lot of lenders are going to, to tighten up their rate lock policies and you know, try to hedge against some of that volatility. I mean, they, they only have so many tools to do it if they still want to be competitive and still have a certain amount of volume. Um, but you, you can't have like, you know, 90 day rate locks when, when you have a market that's, that's all over the place. And we might have rates in the sixes, you know, sometime this year. So it's, um, it's, you got to do what you can do to, to stay, stay protected. You know, and um, all of the stories we've covered so far, you know, we're talking about some pretty big companies, but you and I know that, that the bulk of uh, lending is not, is no one has a corral on that. I mean, it's, it's mostly smaller shops. And so you wonder how, if, if the big guys are able to do some of these things because of the scale that they have, because they were, you know, you know, smart enough and had, had strategies in place, whatever, what does it mean for the, for your much smaller shops and, and how do they compete now? Yeah, it's tough. We, we often talk about, you know, the top 25, maybe top 50 lenders in America pretty regularly. And, and even the biggest among them rocket in terms of originators is not even a 10% market share, right? So it's, it's a hugely right. fractured market. And there are, I think based on the last Humda data report, there are something like 4,400 mortgage lenders in America, you know, and I don't even know the names of probably like 4,000 of them, you know, just, just to show you how, and, and I do this for a living, right? So. Right. You know, I know you've done a deep dive into these. I do a bunch of them, but yeah, I, I don't know, you know, like a, you know, the, the small community banks and the small credit unions and, and just, you know, the various little IMBs or, or correspondent shops out there. You know, there are so many different types of mortgage lenders. And so, and, and they're all going to have to figure out a different way to, to stay afloat in 2022. It's, it's not going to be a pretty year. By some estimates, origination volume for the industry is going to decline by 35%, maybe more, right? And so uh, I, I know that the bigger shops, you know, the Rockets, the UWMs, Loan Depots, the big banks, all, all those guys, they, they have cash, they have credit lines, they have, you know, much bigger warehouse lines of credit, right? And they can, they can weather almost any storm out there. Um, but if you're a small bank and you do maybe, let's say you do a bill a year, I mean, that's a really, really tough market. It probably means there's going to be a fair amount of consolidation. And I think the big boys will probably get bigger and they'll be able to scoop up smaller lenders and, and some of those deals will work out and some of them won't. You know, I, I remember Guaranteed Rate bought Stearns last year. And at the time I thought, you know, this could be really smart. Guaranteed Rate could be a major player in wholesale. They already have a huge, very well-known uh, retail operation and they basically shut it down pretty quickly. You know, they, they did it for a year. So, and now there's no more Stearns. So, you know, what's, what's the next one? I think it's too soon to say, but certainly over the next few months, I expect to see a lot more M&A activity. And, and that's what we hear from from the people who work as, as advisors and who work on on uh, kind of the deal side of things, that, that there's going to be a lot of consolidation because not everybody can survive. That's right. 
I was just at the um, Future of Real Estate conference put on by Qualia, it's the Force Summit, and I moderated a panel on um, M&A activity in the title space, and it is just on fire the last two years. I mean, you could they said, you know, you could talk about the last 10 years, but let's talk about the last two years. I mean, just Stewart alone, you know, acquired 20 different companies, and some of those were title agencies and some of those were tech for title agencies. But, you know, I, I think that's just one small part of this. You know, we're, we've been talking about lenders, but there's a whole universe of people. It, it's affecting the entire landscape of, you know, of the ecosystem for, for the real estate, real estate transaction. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about the pressures, you know, I, I don't think the pressure is on a rocket or a UWM or a Lone Depot or a JP Morgan Chase or Wells Fargo or, you know, any of the other kind of big players out there are, are even comparable to a three-man band title insurance company, you know, and there are so many of them in, in America and, and they're also kind of getting eaten up um, by, by your fidelities and stewards and et cetera. And then think about the appraisers, right? Like the average appraiser is, is, is a guy in his late fifties, early sixties. And how long does he want to do this? Does he want to do this in a really bad year? Like right. maybe it's time that, you know, to, uh, to retire, maybe it's time to to do some to do something else. Maybe something less stressful. And and there are so many professionals in in the real estate and housing ecosystem that probably made a lot of money in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, and just go. You know what? I'm good. Right. I'm I don't. Done. I don't need to weather this storm. Who knows how long it's going to yeah. last? I'm just going to take my marbles and go home after the right. two good years. I wouldn't blame them, right? I mean, you can understand that yeah. pressure. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to preview what your reporters are working on um, the rest of this week and next week. I know we've got some exciting things. Tell us what's in the works. So we, we've got a few pretty good stories coming up. I've got one from uh, Connie Kim, who is a new reporter here at Housing Wire. She's going to be covering lenders and doing deep dives into different companies' business models. And uh, and she's looking at what's going on with Blend lately, of course, the, the mortgage tech giant. They went public in, I want to say July, and their valuation at the time was, I think it was around $4 billion. And, and you look today and and their, their stock is just getting absolutely hammered right now. And they're down to about a billion in market cap. And, um, you know, they, they had a pretty tough Q4. They lost money again in 2021. And and if you know about their business model, you know, it's essentially, it's a usage uh, based billing model. And so if you're a mortgage lender and you use blend, you know, a hundred times you, you pay, you know, a hundred times, right. It's, it's based on how many times you process the loans with them, but you're probably going to do less business because there's less business out there. Right. And so blend is very much hitched their wagon to, uh, the mortgage industry. Right. And, and that makes sense. You know, it is, it is a mortgage tech company. And, and so live by the mortgage, die by the mortgage. Uh, and, and if the industry is going to have, um, you know, a contraction in 2022, what does it mean for blend, which has never been profitable and, um, you know, has, has a stock that is, is not exactly setting the world on fire. So, so Connie's taking a look at that and, and what it means. And, and, um, I think if you're, at Blend, you are cautiously optimistic, uh, but if you're at another mortgage tech company, um, I don't know. This there may not be as much money for you. These these mortgage lenders and these you know other 
other players in the space may not want to spend as much on on um, you know ancillary services or products, or maybe you have to cut your price to to compete with someone else because there's less money for everyone to you know that the pie's not as big as it used to be. So we're doing a story on that, and then uh, Georgia Cromerai, our senior mortgage reporter, is going to be taking a look at the impact of um, basically uh, property tax increases. And uh, I, I've heard from a few LOs in recent weeks that a lot of buyers didn't really take into consideration um, that towns would change their assessments. And, you know, in some cases, towns do it every year, every two years, every five years. You know, there, there are a lot of different uh, models out there, but there are definitely going to be some surprises on tax bills. And if you already paid, uh, you know, at the top of your budget to just win the bidding war to get the home, but maybe you didn't calculate, you know, like an extra six grand a year in taxes, that could be problematic and, and problematic for a service or two and, and dealing with escrow and all that. So, so we're going to be taking a look at, uh, at all that and, um, yeah, all kinds of other stuff going on next week. So it's, it's going to be a busy one and, and I encourage people to, to check back. Absolutely. We have so much there. There was actually three or four topics on here. We didn't even get to that. I wanted to talk about. So just everyone go to housingwire.com. It's all there. Um, but James, thank you so much. Really appreciate you, uh, rounding up what it is you guys are covering and really looking forward to those um, newer stories coming. Cool. Thanks very much, Sarah. Thank you. According to a recent article on the Great Resignation by MIT Sloan Management Review, more than 40% of all employees were thinking about leaving their jobs at the beginning of 2021. And that figure only grew as the year went on. So how are leaders finding ways to retain valued employees? Or maybe you're even asking these questions as a leader yourself. Step one to addressing this, empowering team members to take ownership of their professional growth. This is why we've invited leadership coach and author Renee Rodriguez to join us for this HA Plus virtual masterclass. Think of this class as a one-stop shop on what you need to know to take your leadership to the next level. Go to housingwire.com to learn more and register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.